Amen. Can't wait. I can't wait for you guys to meet him personally. It's going to be awesome one day when he gets to come up here and, and be able to, to uh, minister and, and see you and meet this place and this family of believers. And uh, it was really hard to leave uh, that place. But uh, I know that God has called me here and excited to, to bring the word tonight uh, to you. I do have a question, though, real quick. Um, what happened with the weather yesterday? I mean, um, I move here from Mexico, and then winter starts. How many of you want winter to start already? Okay, how many of you don't want winter to start? I'm with you, okay? This shouldn't be happening yet. Speaking of Mexico, let me share a bit of our transition from, from Mexico to, to home, to Colorado. Um, back in March of this year, we made the announcement to the church that my family and I were, were being called back home to, to Colorado, and, uh, and that Rafa was going to be, is being called to take my position to be the lead pastor. Um, here's a couple, couple of... Uh, uh, photos, pictures of that day that we made that announcement. There it is. We made that announcement in March, and it was a really hard day, really emotional, because it's the giving away of something that, you've, that, that God has birthed, and I was a part of, and now I'm leaving, and for him to take it and now lead it, um, it was really emotional, really hard, but very beautiful uh, day. Uh, you could say it was graduation day uh, for us, for all of us, for us and for them, uh, it was graduation day. You see, as was Paul's, uh, Paul the Apostle's um, church planning model, our model has always been to, to plant a, a Bible-teaching, spirit-filled, reproducing church in the city of Chihuahua to raise up spiritual leadership uh, that are mature, and then when ready to hand off the baton to native leadership to lead that church into the future. No church planning missionary ever knows how long that process will take to develop strong leaders and to mature a body to the point of reproduction. Well, after six years uh, of, of plowing and planting, God has called us home. Praise the Lord. And our work has come to an end there. And um, now that doesn't mean that I've stopped investing in, in this place and in this church. In fact, I just talked to Rafa uh, on Wednesday and uh, was just, just encouraging him and exhorting him and, and coaching him. Uh, and he, he said the church is thriving. The church is, uh, is growing since I left. Praise the Lord. It's not about a man. It's about the Spirit of God and what he wants to do. Um, it's not a perfect church. No church is perfect. But... It's a healthy church with strong spiritual leadership. And my wife and I are no longer needed, praise the Lord. And uh, we're being called to 
a new calling uh, here. And in light of these things, I, I believe that God wants me to share a, a message tonight uh, that is uh, specifically for us uh, about calling, about calling. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And as we do, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done. You have built your church. You're the one that builds the church. You're the one that builds and flourishes ministry. And Lord, I pray for the church in Chihuahua right now as they have their Saturday night service. I pray that Rafa would just be filled with your spirit and that they would be uh, refreshed with your word. And Lord, that you would use, use your word to bring forth change and growth and transformation in Chihuahua. And Lord, tonight we ask the same thing right here, right now. Lord, I pray for this church that you would build it, that you would transform it, that you would make it into what you want it to be. Lord, I pray for the calling of each person that's in this room right now. Lord, you have called, you have a calling, a purpose for these believers. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make that more evident, more clear tonight through the power of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Paul the Apostle says this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and he says it to us tonight, to the church at large. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Each one of us has a calling. Some as, is as simple as the calling of mother, of father, of husband, of wife, Others are pastor and missionary. Others are worker in the work field or servant. There are specific callings that God gives us that we are to accomplish for his namesake. It also says in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individual members... Of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us exercise them accordingly. Meaning, as the church, we all have a function to fulfill. A function to fulfill, given by God, a divine purpose to bring glory to God. I want. I want you to think about your calling for a, mo a moment, your purpose. Some of you are thinking, I have a calling? Yes. You have a calling, a purpose that God has specifically for you to fulfill. Now, have you ever, won uh, have you ever met someone in the ministry and you ask them, why are you doing what you're doing, and how did you get here anyway? And, they answer, and their answer to you is, the call of God. You ever heard that before? 
Whenever, uh, when, when we arrived in Mexico, I remember people asking, why are you here? Because we're all trying to get there. <laughs> why are you here? Why did you come to Chihuahua? And I answered them, it was the call of God. It's the call of God. Have you ever wondered what that process looks like in a person's life? Was it a phone call from God? Hello, this is God. I want you to go here and do this. What did it look like? What does that look like? Well, today, I want, us, I want to help us to be able to recognize the call of God when it comes in our lives. If you're note takers, write this down. To recognize the call of God when it comes in our lives. And secondly, for us to be able to effectively move out in that calling that God has placed on our hearts, that function that God wants us to fulfill. So, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of Nehemiah. And as you turn there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background quickly as the book begins we find out that Nehemiah is serving in the king's palace while in captivity. You see, God's people were exiled. They were estranged from their homeland, and Nehemiah gets word from some of his Jewish friends in chapter 1 that, Jer that, that Jerusalem is in distress. Now, at this point, the temple of Jerusalem had been rebuilt, but the city walls were destroyed and the gates had been burned, burned with fire, and the people were in distress and they were losing hope. And Nehemiah gets word of this, and as soon as Nehemiah heard about the condition of God's people in God's city, he sat down in chapter 1, verse 4, and he wept and mourned, and, and repented for the sin of his people, and prayed, and fasted. But it wasn't just a few days. He was consumed with this, and prayed for it for approximately four months. Praying and asking the Lord, what do you want me to do in light of this situation? He couldn't get it off of his mind. You ever been there? Couldn't get something off your mind? God's just moving your heart for something, for somebody? You see, the last verse in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, so look just a little bit back, tells us that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. The king's cupbearer. A significant position in, uh, in the ancient royal court. The cupbearer was a personal bodyguard to the king, being the one who would ta taste the wine and the food that the king would eat, making certain that no one had poisoned it. That was the king. That was the cupbearer. The cupbearer was a high official in the royal household who would present food and drink to the king. He, he would have frequent access to the king which would make him potentially an, a man of great influence. 
This is Nehemiah. King, kings in that day had to have tremendous amount of trust in their cupbearers. A man of faithfulness, a man that has impeccable character. The cupbearer was also a trusted advisor to the king since he was constantly in the presence of the king and greatly trusted. Again, a man of great character that the king would often use to ask advice. So with that in mind, I want, I want you to have that picture, that understanding as we move into chapter 2. First of all, Nehemiah, he's the king's cupbearer. Second of all, he's burdened by Jerusalem and what, the walls that have been burned and he is, he is overwhelmed by what's going on there. So with that, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that this, the wine was before him. And I took it up, and the wine, it took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Well, it's the month of Nisan, it says. It's, it's, it's March time frame. It's springtime. And Nehemiah had been praying and considering what God wanted him to do for about four months about this situation. And during those four months, Nehemiah's prayer was probably something like this. Lord, either take this burden away from my heart or show me how to be the man to answer this burden. Have you ever been there? Where God places a burden on your heart? You're going to, you can't sleep at night because there's, there's, there's these youth that have to be reached or these children that have to be touched. Or you, you see the, the man on the side of the road and, and you can't get him off your mind. This was Nehemiah. Burdened with something or, or so, uh, burdened for something or someone. If you're a note taker, write this down. The first, uh, the calling of God first starts with a burden. Every calling starts with a burden. Seven years ago, God gave me a burden for the people of Chihuahua. He also gave me an incredible burden for the Tarahumara Indians that live right there in the Copper Canyon as well as in the city of Chihuahua. I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about how to reach them. And instead of me standing around and saying, why doesn't anybody else have this burden for these people? You know what I mean? Like, why isn't everybody else burdened just like me? What is your problem? Instead of feeling that way and saying those things, I realized that God placed that burden on my heart for a reason. To answer the burden, the call. Now look with me at, at verse 2 again. The king asks, why is your face so sad? Nehemiah was sad before the king. Before this day, Nehemiah had never been sad or depressed in the presence of the king. You see, to be sad in the presence of the king in this time 
was punishable by death. Yet he chose to be sad before the king that day. Four months of praying and asking the Lord to go before him gave him the courage to go before the king sad that day. God placed this burden on Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the walls. And then God gives him the courage to step out in faith to do it. Now let me make this a little bit practical for you, for us tonight. Maybe some of you have a burden for a a ministry inside the church. Maybe a ministry outside the church. Maybe a ministry that God wants you to begin to start. Maybe he's put a burden on your heart for the lost of our city or the hurting. Or maybe he's put a burden on your heart for Doherty High School for what happened this week. And you can't get it off your mind and and you're consumed. You, You need to do something about it. Maybe a burden for children. Maybe it's, it's a letter you need to write. Maybe it's a friend that you need to call. Maybe, maybe it's a family member you need to visit. That burden, that thing, could be the beginning of realizing your calling that God, is, God has for you on this earth. Oftentimes, God will place a burden on our hearts or a need in front of us and then challenge us to step out in faith and meet the need to answer the call. You will never find out until you do. You see, after recognizing the burden, the next step is a step of faith. And this is the scariest part because you have to to completely trust God for the unknown. The unknown. It's scary because you don't know what's coming. Sean, I want you to go to Chihuahua. But God, I, I don't know anybody in Chihuahua. Sean, I want you to go and plant a church in Chihuahua. God, I've never planted a church ever. God, Sean, I want you to go and reach a people that you don't speak their language. That's a miracle. You see, God uses the foolish things of this world. He uses the weak things of this world. He uses things that you would never expect. He uses people like you and me. In my case, he asked me to leave my job here in in Colorado. He he asked me to leave the staff uh, here and to sell my house and to go to Mexico and to plant a church to a city I knew no one. The unknown, it's kind of scary. I remember uh, when that happened in Pastor Eric's heart, the, the burden for this city. We were on staff together years ago, 
we came on staff together. He was a junior high pastor and I was a senior high pastor. And one day, Eric just began to get an incredible burden for the city. There was a shooting that had happened, and we, we, he, he said, let's go. And, and he was more motivated and, and moved to, to reach the loss in our city than I was. I'm, I'm a world guy. Like, I'm a world missions guy. Like, let's go reach Uganda and, and Morocco and Mexico. And, and he's like, we got to go down the street and reach these people right down here. And that's where the burden for, for Colorado Springs began in Pastor Eric's heart. And, and, and I saw it, and then just shortly after that, he was asked to lead this church. And as if you've been here long enough, you know that, that that's the heart of our pastor. He loves, he wants to reach the lost in our city and to reach the, the hurting and to change their lives and to touch them and to, and to cause them to see the reality of a, of, a, of a big God that transforms lives. That's our pastor's heart. You see, it's in those moments when we're burdened, and when we take a step of faith, when God equips us for the job. You see, some of you might be sitting here going, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I, I'm not good enough for that. I can't do that. You see, God equips the called. He's the one that gives you the tools to be able to do it. I have to tell you, I have no idea how that church got planted in Chihuahua. It is God that did it. It's him. God equips the called. Another thing I want you to notice is Nehemiah was afraid at the end of verse 2. He show, this shows me that Nehemiah was human, right? Any of you ever get afraid? <laughs> yeah. Especially when God calls you to do something that you don't really want to do. Absolutely. Nehemiah was afraid. He's just like you and I. Though he was being courageous before the king, he still was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen. Will God be faithful? Right? Isn't that what we ask? Will, will you be faithful? Uh, I'm going to step out, Lord. Will you, will you be faithful to meet me in the midst of my step of faith? You see, the king had, could have easily said, off with your head, or off with his head, and, and, and sent him away. And, and, and that would have been the end of Nehemiah's uh, career as a cupbearer, right? But that wasn't the case. You see, every time we are faced with a step of faith, the unknown can grip us with fear, can it? Will God be faithful? I remember those first few months in Chihuahua. The violence was high. We heard gunshots at night. We had someone murdered on the street next to us, behind us. I remember going out every morning when we first got there. You know, I'm the church planner, right? My, wa my wife is a home 
school mom at home doing homeschool, right? And I'm here, you know, I'm the one that's supposed to be, dun da 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 I'm going to plant this church. I get in the car, you know, okay, we get there, and I'm like, okay, I know no one, okay? You need to put yourself in my shoes for a second. I don't know anyone. I don't know Spanish very well, and, and here I am, and I'm saying, okay, okay, you guys, okay, you're going to do homeschool, and, and uh, I'm going to go out and uh, start the church. <laughs> I get in my car, and I start driving, and I said, Lord, what are we doing? I said, like, where am I going? I don't have a church to go to. I don't have an office. I don't have anybody to talk to. I'm just like, Lord, please give me a plan. So what I did is I looked for a coffee shop. Now, Starbucks wasn't there yet, but now we have three. Starbucks was, it didn't exist. So I found this little coffee shop, and I went there, and I said, I said Lord, I'm going to talk to everybody that comes in here, and I'm just going to drink coffee all day long. <laughs> and that's what I did, because I didn't know what else to do. I was like, okay, I just need to meet people. Hi, I'm Sean, and what do you do? Well, what do you do? Um, I, I'm a pastor that a church, of a church that doesn't exist. Oh, man. By the grace of God, five months later, after we arrived, we started the church in Chihuahua. Five months. By me just going out and going, what am I going to do today? And then I invited people to our first church service. And guess what, how many, guess how many people came? 29 people came to our first service and I was like, oh my, God, you're so good. 29 people, I was blown away. I was like, God, you're, you're doing it, you're doing it. Then the next week we had nine. <laughs> and half of them were my family. And that's the way it was for, for eight weeks. God, are you going to be faithful to the call? Are you going to be faithful, Lord? He just started to grow the church. He began to grow the church. Thank God. Let's look at verse 3. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when, this, when, when the city, the place of my, my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to God, to the God of heaven. Nehemiah takes a step of faith and he asked and, and God answers his step of faith. God, the, king didn't get, the king doesn't kill him, but he asks him a question instead. What do you want, Nehemiah? What do you want? And what does Nehemiah do? He prays. Nehemiah prays here, and his prayer was probably short and sweet, something like, Lord, help me. Give me favor with the king. Right? 
Can you imagine the king asks, what is your request? Now, now Nehemiah has a, something to have to figure out here. What am I going to say? What is my request? Watch what Nehemiah requests. We'll get to that in just a second. You see, Nehemiah understood that it's God that's going to do what's going to happen. If God is going to let him go and build the wall, it's going to be God that opens the door. It's going to be God that makes it happen, not Nehemiah. Nehemiah understood that it wasn't his place to to change the king's heart or to drop hints, to, to manipulate the king so that he'll let him do what he wants him to do. He just stops and prays. What do you want? He says, Lord, help me. And he prayed and waited, and during that time, God, God prepared the king's heart. The third thing we must do in answering the call of God in our lives is to pray hard and to wait patiently. To pray hard and wait patiently. I remember praying to God when and where to start the church. My wife and uh, some of the others that were, that were in the process with me to, to look, we were looking around, we've been there for about four months, and we were looking for a place to start the church in Chihuahua, and, and every place was too expensive. And they were all the same price, but all too much, if you get what I'm saying. And eventually, and I said, and, and I said Lord, we need, to, we need to make a decision. And my wife's like, just make a decision. Just pick something because it's all too expensive for you. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I don't think this is you. I don't think this is right. And I kept praying. And I said, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand. This isn't, this isn't right. There's no way we are going to be able to afford this. And, and I kind of put on a limit to God. I said, okay, God, you need to, to answer by this day. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Lord, you need to answer by this day. Well, I put out that day, and I said, Lord, you need to answer by this. You need, we need to make a decision by this day. It comes to the last day, right? And my wife's like, you're not going to go out and look again, are you? I said, yeah. So I just drove around. I was just driving around, and I was driving the city, and I, I came to this one street, and I didn't know, never been down that street. I, I, there's nothing really down there that's exciting, so I just drove right down there, and, and I saw this little sign, and it said, 200 square meters for rent, and I thought to myself, that's exactly what I want. That's what I had been telling people. We need 200 square meters. It was like God put a little sign, 200 square meters for rent, and I said, I, I, I called up the, the, uh, the number, and I said, I said, hello, is it still available? And he said, yes, it's 200 square meters, yes. I said, I want it. So I went, I went down, and I said, can I come down and see it? And he said, sure. And I said, Lord, are you sure this is it? It was half the price of everything else. And it was exactly what God wanted us to have. And it's, we're still there today. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 5. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, this is his request, 
Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, and the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and, and I gave him a definite time. Now, I find it fascinating that Nehemiah has the courage to ask the king to send him to rebuild the wall when the king doesn't really care about Jerusalem. That's a pretty bold request, but, but it came right after, he, after praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, you go before me. God heard his prayer. Church, I want you to understand that God hears your prayers. You might be sitting here tonight and you might be thinking, I don't even know, Lord, if you hear me. I've been praying, you do, do, you need my, do you know my situation? I guarantee you, he knows your situation. His thoughts are like the sand of the seashore. Remember what Chance said? He's always constantly thinking about you. He hears our prayers. And the king asked him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So the king isn't surprised by his request. Huh. God's working on the king here. Why? Why isn't the king, why isn't the king surprised? Because God had prepared his heart for this moment. It's amazing what prayer can do. Isn't it? This reminds me of that moment in the book of Acts, when um, in Acts chapter 12, when, when the church was praying for Peter, right? He's in prison, and he's hanging out in prison, and God just, bam, opens the doors, and Peter walks out, and, and now he goes over to the house, and hello, let me in, it's Peter, and, the, and they said, that, you can't be Peter, because we're praying for Peter right now, he's in prison, no, it's me, Peter. He, the gal goes back and says, it's Peter. Nah, it can't be Peter. We're praying for Peter. He's in prison. God answers prayer. He does. I don't know if you believe that for your life. Maybe for others, but maybe not for you. Let me encourage you to pray. Pray with a humble heart, with, without pride. Take that step of faith and then wait on the Lord to move and then wait and just pray. That's what's happening here in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah takes a step of faith, not a run of faith, right? A step. And he waits. He takes a step of faith and he's sad before the king and he waits for God to do the rest. He doesn't run out in front of the king and start babbling and making a mess of things he waits for the king to give him the open door and the king does so often in serving the Lord we can run out ahead of God and make a mess of things we need to learn to be patient that's not a very good Christian word is it patience for us like to receive that oh, patience not many of us are very patient people. We need to be patient and to wait on the Lord and wait for him to bring confirmation and an open door. Let's look on and look at verse 7, because this is where it gets exciting. And I said to the king, 
if it please the king, so he's going to ask for some more stuff. If it please the king, let the letters be given to me for the governors of the, of the province beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Aphis, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates and uh, of, the for, of the fortress which is by the temple for the wall of the city and for the, the house to which I will go. And the king granted to him, and the king granted them to him because the good hand of my, of my God was upon me. When we're in God's will, God's favor and God's provision follows. Where God guides, he provides. We all know, we all need God's favor, don't we? Nehemiah was experiencing extreme favor from the, from the Lord. He doesn't just ask for written permission he, to pass through the land. But he asked for all the materials to rebuild the wall too. He said, king, can you give me everything that I need? And the king says, sure, that's my God. Nehemiah could have easily said, now this is impossible. Rebuilding the wall, I don't know. I have a burden for, for Jerusalem and to rebuild this wall, but I don't see how it's possible for me to be able to rebuild the wall and have the resources to be able to do it. I mean, I'm just the king's cupbearer. And he could have said, ah, oh, forget it. But he didn't because he believed. He believed in the God of the universe, the one that can transform, the one that can do miracles. Oftentimes when God blesses, he blesses abundantly, doesn't he? And that's what we've experienced in Chihuahua. Over the past six years, God's perfect provision, not too much, not too little, just enough to keep us trusting him. Let's look on in verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent them, sent with me, officers of the army and horsemen. Now get this, God has outdone himself here. How loved Nehemiah must have felt in that moment. Not only did the king send him with letters signed by the king, not only did he give him the, the materials to rebuild the wall, but on top of all that, he gives him a personal escort with an army to go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that the king doesn't really care about. That's awesome. That's my God. That's the way he works. Over and over again, God has blessed us in Chihuahua. In our step of faith. I remember one cold November morning asking the Lord, how are we going to pay the rent? 
How are we going to pay the gas bill and the electricity bill? Because my bank account was at zero. My personal bank account, zero. Zero. No savings, no nothing. Zero. My church bank account was at zero. Zero. Okay? Zero and zero. This doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting there going, God, we're already 15 days late on the rent. I don't know what we're going to do. My rent's a little late already, and, and, and we have the bills to pay, and we have to pay for rent. God, what are we going to do? We have zero. And I started to doubt my calling. I said, maybe it's time to pack up and go home. Maybe it's God's not in this. Maybe I don't understand what God's doing. And I had to return to the call. God, you called me here. So you're going to be faithful, right, Lord? Will you be faithful? I kid you not, the next day, I found out that we, someone here from supporters or whoever from from the U.S. had given the ministry $5,000. My God's faithful. Our God is faithful even when I don't, am not faithful. You see, I thought I was a, a man of faith, but that day I had no faith. And he, he showed up and he was faithful You see, my prayer that morning was, God, give me faith because I have no faith. Church, I have to tell you that we're blessed. You're blessed. If you came in here tonight overwhelmed with life, I don't really know, I don't really know you guys very well. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening in, in, in personally, what trials or difficulties you're facing, but I want to tell you tonight, you're blessed. God has sent his son to redeem you, and he has forgiven you. Wow. Forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, and through his son, Jesus Christ, you've been sanctified. That means cleaned, washed anew. First Corinthians 6.11. And then ado- adopted into his family. He adopted you. He took you in. He made you part of his family. You are now the children of the living God. Wow. Children of the living God. You're heirs of the kingdom. You are royalty. You're blessed. If that's not enough, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And on top of all of that, you've been blessed by, by, by receiving an inheritance of eternal life. And then if that's not enough, he's given you a crown of righteousness that you get to take off and place at the feet of Jesus. To say, he gives you the gift that you get to give him. Man, you are blessed. We're blessed, church. We are blessed people. We don't deserve any of what we get. Of any of the things that God pours out on our life. 
And this is all that he asks in return. Did you know this? That God, this is all God asks in return. He says, I just want a surrendered life to, to me. I just want you a surrendered life to me. That's all I want. One that is willing to answer the call. Remember, each of you have a calling, a purpose, a plan that God made, specifically wrote it out just for you. And all he wants you to do is be willing to step out and say, God, I'll answer that call that you have placed on my life. I want to go do that. That might be loving a family member. That might be going and coming here and cleaning the church. It might be uh, serving in children's ministry. It might be being the best wife, the best husband you can be, leading your, your spouse, loving your children. Incredible callings that God has placed on our life, and we can't, we, we, sometimes we don't even see them, but they're there. Calling that God has given you. Let me end with these last two verses. And when Samballot, in verse 10, Samballot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So they were upset that someone's going to come and rebuild the wall. And, and, and here's the enemy, of, the enemy of God displeased with what they've heard. So I came to Jerusalem in verse 11, Jerusalem, and I was there three days. I'm going to let you read on in your own time, but let me end with these things. In these verses, we're, we hear that someone is coming to, they hear that someone's coming to rebuild the wall. And the enemies of God were not happy. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, right? Because any time the Spirit of God moves in a place, the enemy will rise up. It's what he does. You can be assured of that. There will always be Sam Ballots and Tobias in your life. Always trying to, to trouble you and to, to, to bring discouragement in your life and to, to try to destroy. Maybe you were wanting to start a Bible study. Maybe in your workplace or in your neighborhood. And God and, and, and the enemies the enemy of God was saying, You can't do that. What do you think you're doing? You think you can start a Bible study? What do you have to offer? I mean, look at your life, right? Isn't that what the enemy does? He, he starts with their mind and just starts to destroy. If Nehemiah would have listened to these guys, if you read on, he starts, they start to try to destroy and to discourage and to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding the wall. Every calling comes with an enemy's attack. At the end of this chapter, Sam Ballad, at the end of this chapter, as well as other chapters, Sam Ballad and Tobiah continue to cause trouble 
for Nehemiah. Mocking and questioning Nehemiah. Maybe you're there tonight. You want to do what? You want to, you want to reach out and start a ministry? You want to take a step of faith? Are you crazy? You want to move to Mexico? Why would you do that? You want to love children? But you're no good with children. And, and all these thoughts, and, and then you say, you know what, maybe, maybe you're right, I don't know. And then you never do anything, and the enemy wins. The enemy loves to come and discourage us, doesn't he? Be aware of that. Be watching for the enemy's attacks. Trust what God has spoken and continue in the call. The last thing I want to finish with is is this. Finish well. Finish the call well. Finish strong what God has called you to do. Nehemiah finishes the wall If you read the rest of this book, he finishes the wall in 52 days. That's a miracle. And you know what they were doing when they were doing it? They had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other because they knew the enemy was coming. And they were going to be ready for the enemy with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. You see, only a fool builds half a house. As we close this evening, I want you to think about your calling. Tonight we're gonna we're gonna end with uh, two two worship songs, and we're gonna we're gonna just take a moment to to reflect and to worship a little bit longer because worship was shorter in the beginning. And we're gonna we're gonna just take this in and really ask. I want you to ask the Lord, what is my purpose? Am I fulfilling that purpose? Am I accomplishing your call for my life? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father.